Matthew chapter 20. And let's begin reading in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 20. I've got some friends here from Ash Grove. I appreciate y'all being here tonight, passing through. Good to see y'all. Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse number 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his, his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. They went their way. And he went out about the sixth hour and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Father, bless now the reading of your word. I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for missions, and especially for this month to remind us of the great need of this day and age in which we're living. I pray that you'll give us liberty and boldness as we preach, but Lord, only to say what you would have us to in Jesus' name. And amen. You may be seated. Here we have an interesting account as our Lord is giving them the illustration the kingdom of heaven is likened to. And of course, He gives that wonderful explanation about a man that is a householder. And just by way of maybe introduction or getting a little understanding of this passage, number one, we see the Lord of the harvest. He's the householder. I would remind you it's very important that we understand the field is the world, but it's not our field, it's His field. It's not my harvest, it's His harvest. When I went to Victory many years ago down in Benton, Arkansas, and I'd probably been there a year or so, maybe two, and, and uh, there's a little community, and some of you have been to Benton, you understand this. Our church is out in the country, and there's a little community not far from us called Haskell. In fact, is a lot of our folks live in the Haskell community, and, and uh, they still have a Benton zip code, but it's a separate community. And, and so uh, a preacher... In the city there, a preacher who's a Baptist, fellowships a little differently than I do, but a Baptist church, called me one day and said, hey, I need to talk to you. You need to stay out of my field. And I said, excuse me? He said, well, your people are knocking on doors in Haskell, and that's my field. I said, oh, it is. I didn't realize that. I thought Jesus said the field was the world. And uh, I said, you know, are we preventing you from being able to go out and work in the field? He said, well, no, it's not that. But this is my field. I said, well, I didn't realize everybody in Haskell was already in church, already saved. Oh, no, they're not. And I said, I, I'm sure that probably what's happening is you're running into our people while you're out on visitation knocking doors. He said, well, be honest with you, we don't do that. I said, so what you're telling me is you're not going to go and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus, but you're offended because we are. And I told him, I said, sir, we're not trying to steal your sheep. I promise you that. We're going after those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've got a commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The field is the world. But I would remind you, Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. So it's His harvest. It's not mine. By the way, when we get involved in the work of God, it's not about the pat on the back or the praise of men, but it's about pleasing the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. 
It was said this morning, I was saved August 12, 1970, 12 years of age, almost 13, and the same week God saved me, called me to preach, and I went home that Sunday and announced my salvation, presented myself for baptism, announced my call to preach. I got baptized the following week, and a little over a month later, at the age of 13, preached my first sermon. And God was so good to me as a, as a young person to call me to preach, but can I tell you, uh, when I got saved, I was so excited about it, I wanted everybody to get saved. I remember when I got saved, I was in an old-fashioned camp meeting, and uh, so of course, right after I got saved, I ran back and told my dad, and uh, then I told his best friend, Brother Russ Pittman, that I told my junior choir director, who I'd probably caused a lot of grief in her life growing up, that I'd gotten saved, and she probably thought it's about time, but anyway... And uh, by the way, she is a member of the church at Victory Baptist all these years later. Uh, Children, let me just say this. Treat the people right around you who are trying to lead you. You may end up pastoring them someday. (laughs) I knew my in-laws since I was seven and became their pastor. Of course, I ended up pastoring my own parents. And Miss Bonnie's still a member of our church. I believe she'll be 88 this month. And it's Brother Presswood's mother-in-law. And and a little side note, my sister that was killed in a car wreck was married to her son, so she's like family. And every once in a while, I'll remind her, now Miss Bonnie, you know, you've known me since before I was saved, and she'll smile and say, it's under the blood, it's okay. But anyway, <laughs> but I went and told them. And man, I'm telling you, I was so excited, and finally I got up in front of the camp meeting and told everybody in the building, hey, I just got saved, and I'm so excited, I want to see everybody get saved. After the service, a man came up to me and he said, young man, uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but I just want you to know everybody's not going to get saved. And I thought, man, I wish I'd have never met him. You know, maybe everybody won't get saved, but what's wrong with having a desire? want to tell people about Jesus. What's wrong with that? Being driven to want to get the Gospel to a lost and dying world. So we see the Lord of the harvest is the householder. We see the laborers in the harvest. Uh, they're sent to work in the vineyard. Those who labor among the vines must be careful about how they walk. When I was a kid growing up, my dad loved to garden. And he had a massively huge garden. And, and uh, it, was, uh, it was unbelievable, all the things that he would grow. But, you know, as you worked in the garden, one of the things you had to be careful is where you stepped. And watch what you're doing. And be cautious and be careful because you don't want to crush the plants. And you don't want to destroy the crop. And you want to be able to reap the harvest when it's time. And so as a result of that, the laborers in the harvest are sent to work uh, in the vineyard. And then notice the lessons in the harvest. God is still seeking workers because He alone is the one that determines the rewards. Now in this account here, there are people that get hired right away. The Bible said that the householder goes out early in the morning, hires laborers, and he agrees with them that he's going to pay them a penny a day. And you say, a penny a day. Well, a day's wages was going to be given to them for their work in the harvest. Now, as the day goes on, he hires more workers, and then he hires more workers. And then in the 11th hour, which is an hour away from the end of the work time, he hires more laborers. And you'll read on in this account, and it's not what I'm dealing with tonight, but later on in that account, when he begins to pay them, and the ones that worked... uh, just the last hour got paid the same amount as the ones that have been working all day. There was a little bit of frustration about it and they got aggravated. But the point he was trying to help them to understand is that God is always seeking for workers. You might think, well, I'm too old or I'm too young or I can't do. Listen, young people, serve the Lord with all your might. There are things while you're young you may not be able to do. There might be some responsibilities in the Christian life you're not ready yet to handle. 
I started preaching at the age of 13, and I may have mentioned this before, but when I was about 15 years of age, there was a church about 40 miles up from where my dad pastored, and they were without a pastor, and they called my dad and said, uh, Brother Graham, we'd like to talk to your son. And dad said, well, he's not here right now. Can I take a message? He said, we would like to talk to him about becoming our pastor. And dad said, he's not interested. When I got home, my dad told me, he said, hey, there was a church that called. I wanted to know if you'd be their pastor, but I turned it down. You didn't even want to ask me? You didn't want to just seek my opinion about it? My dad said, no, son. You can't even drive a car. How are you going to pastor a church? It's 40 miles from our house to that church. How would you get there? You can't drive a car. You can't ride your bike that far. And he was right about that. And he said, I'm not driving you over there every week to be their pastor. And he said, and I'm not going to let you move into the parsonage and live by yourself. And then my dad, in his very loving, tender way, said to me, look, when you can consistently make your bed without being reminded, we might think you're ready to pastor a church. But for now, let's just do what you're capable of doing. By the way, he did me a great favor that day. Years later, my dad told me, he said, you know, that church had a history of being a graveyard for preachers. Never kept a preacher more than a year or two. You weren't ready to pastor. And by the way, he was very right at that time. I'm glad God gave me the dad that He gave me to kind of keep me in perspective. But you know what, young people? I couldn't pastor a church at 15, but I could serve the Lord at 15, and you can serve the Lord. You can do something for God. Now look, I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm not even a young adult anymore. I don't guess technically that I'd really fit in the middle-aged crowd. I know this, that I get senior discounts everywhere I go. The only thing that hurts my feelings about that, I've been getting senior discounts since I was 40. And I used to try to argue with them. I'd say, I'm not, I'm not old enough. And finally, I got tired of it. They would say, well, let me see your license. I don't believe you. One lady said to me, you know, you're like my husband. She goes, once you pass 55, it's kind of hard to tell how old you are. I said, lady, I'm just, just getting ready to turn 40. She said, well, wow, you've had a rough life. But anyway... <laughs> The, the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I'm not middle-aged anymore. I'm not, I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man. But can I tell you something? I, I may not be able to do everything that I once did, but I can still serve the Lord. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Brother Graham, I, I can't. Maybe you used to work in the bus ministry and you can't drive a bus anymore. Maybe you can't even get out and walk and knock doors like you used to. Maybe you're limited in some areas of what you used to be able to do for God. But I want to tell you something, as long as there's breath, you can walk with God and you can pray for those that are laboring. You can have a part in the work of God. Listen, one of the greatest blessings that I've had in life was to have prayer warriors that stood behind me while I was preaching the Word of God. And I mean, praying for me. Many of them have gone on before me. and They would say, Brother Graham, I can't do what I used to do, but I can pray for you. Listen, that means a lot. Don't ever feel like that God doesn't have a place for you in the work of God. You can pray, and you can labor, and you can give, and you can be a part of the greatest work known to man. That is the work of God. And so we find He's ever seeking workers and He alone gets to determine the reward. You know, it doesn't matter. These men, some of them that started early in the morning, were frustrated because they got paid the same as those that started in the 11th hour. Can I tell you, let God sort all that out. Let's just labor. Let's just be about our Father's business. 
You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll get jealous or envious. Well, why does that person seem like God's got His favor on them and I'm just as faithful and I've got as much talent and I've done this and I've done that. Can I tell you something? Let's just be whatever the Master wants us to be for His cause and uh, find ourselves busy about our Father's business and just serving Him and laboring for Him. And we see these lessons in the harvest, but then notice the late hour of the harvest. He spoke about the eleventh hour. And you know, until Jesus comes, there's still a work to be done. Our world is absolutely insane. Man, when I was a kid, I remember going to church. We had a lot of preachers come through, preached on prophecy back in those days. I'm talking back in even the late 60s and early 70s. And man, they talk about what it was going to be like before Jesus comes. And, and you know, we'd sit there and amen and hear all that. And I want to tell you something, dear friend. I don't know that they adequately described how mixed up and crazy our world was going to get. There's a lot of bizarre things happening in this world. I'm not being political tonight, but we've got a world that is bent on doing anything and everything it can to try to resist what God is trying to do for them. Man, it's, it's insane. I mean, just about the time you think you've heard it all, something else comes on the horizon uh, and uh, lifestyles and attitudes and behaviors and conduct and, and uh, sin, dear friend, has always been around. And if you study history, you'll know there have been times when sin has been more prevalent and it's been more prominent. But you'd have to agree with me that we are seeing it like we never have being pushed and promoted and, and prompted in our faces. Listen, when I was a little boy, uh, we, we had a very limited amount of television that was put before us because there was virtually little that was on TV. Three channels and they all went off early. And in our home, there wasn't a whole lot of that allowed or Watch, but I'm going to tell you nowadays, my heart goes out to young people with what they're facing through the internet, what they're facing uh, through media, what's being pushed and prompted in front of them. And quite often, young people feel like they're being cheated or, you know, if they don't have access to everything. And by the way, I'm not preaching against media. I thank God for every good thing that we can do. I'm grateful that when the devil thought he was going to hurt our churches during uh, all this uh, uh, health crisis that went on and, and tried to shut everything down, man, the media. Uh, probably uh, was enjoying thinking about how they were going to limit our churches. And man, I'm telling you, it got exciting what was happening as the Word of God was going out uh, and uh, live streaming. There are people that can't be here tonight. They're able to watch your service. I'm talking about folks that maybe are shut in. We've had some that have had, had slipped out in eternity, but before they left, they were able to continue. Now, listen, there's nothing like being here in person. And I like in-person services. And you know, when it first happened, everybody's trying to figure out what to do. And I mean, we got creative for a while. We had parking lot services. That was weird. I stood on the, on the uh, porch of our church and set up equipment, and everybody could hear it in their car, and they're looking at me from their cars. We had a family join the church during that time. And it was raining that day, so it wasn't like we could get everybody to step out of their cars. So it was raining, so I said, this family... You know, told them about it. I said, they want to join the church all in favor of receiving them. Honk your horn. <laughs> all those opposed like sign. <laughs> and only his father-in-law opposed. But anyway, it was, I'm just kidding. So it was so exciting. But, you know, listen, when the devil thinks he's going to put a stop 
to the work of God. God's work will go on. Uh, but I want you to understand it's getting late. It's getting dark. I do believe we're in the last days. Now, I didn't come to preach doom and gloom. I didn't come to preach despair. But I want to tell you something, dear friend. These are exciting days to be living. God is still wanting to do a work, but He's wanting us to be a part of that. And instead of saying so focused on what the media and so focused on what society is doing, let's get in the Word of God and see how God wants to use us in these last days to make a difference for the cause of Christ around the world. Why? Why should I work in the 11th hour? Now, you know, the truth of the matter is we never know entirely when the 11th hour is. But can I say we ought to work in the 11th hour, number one, because of the plea of the Master. The Master came along and the householder came along and he said, why stand you here all the day idle? The plea of the Master. Can you hear Him? Hanging on the cross, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. I know this is Sunday night, and I realize that probably most everyone in here, uh, if not all of you, have trusted Christ as your Savior. But I don't ever want to get over the thrill of knowing that He paid my sin debt. And because of that, I ought to be willing to listen to the plea of the Master when He says, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. I need to listen to the plea of the Master when He says, go and preach the Gospel to every creature. I need to listen to the plea of the Master when He said, and ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. We have a great responsibility to get the Gospel out. And the Master is pleading with us today, will you join the few and work the field? The song said, say not tomorrow. I'll hold to the plow. There's no time to borrow. It's summer now. And countless millions, countless millions, dear friend, are headed out into an eternity without Christ and He's still looking for the few to join and work the field. You think about this. Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. We ought to work in the 11th hour because of the plea of the Master. But let me say secondly, we ought to work in the 11th hour because of the potential of the harvest. You just never know who you might reach. <laughs> You know, it's amazing. We watch people that are lost and we think, man, there's no hope for that guy. There's no hope for that lady. Man, they're so messed up. And I don't mean this wrong. Listen, it's exciting when someone gets saved. I don't care if it's a child. I don't care if it's a teenager. I don't care if it's a young adult. I don't care if it's a senior citizen. Can I tell you? It's exciting when someone gets saved. Her husband was dying and her son was a charter member of our church. And I went to the hospital to visit her husband and one of our men had led him to the Lord. He had been a shut-in for a while. His health was bad. And I visited with him and when it was getting towards the end of his life, I stayed the night at the hospital and, and uh, her son, and her two sons were there. And I'll tell you, we had a time. And uh, not long uh, before he left the world, I was able to just talk to him again and he recognized who I was as he slipped out in eternity. And... and uh, but his wife had said to me for years, now, Brother Graham, I'm so proud of my son. He came to your church and or started the church there back years ago, charter member of the church. She said, but you know, I'm a Methodist. I was born a Methodist, and I'll die a Methodist. And she said, but I appreciate you coming. Well, after her husband died, she said, to be honest with you, she said, my preacher never did come. She said, you know, my husband's been shut in, and she said, uh, they... they uh, they make sure they send me a 
reminder every month to pay my money. But nobody came. She said, I was wondering, would you preach his funeral? I said, I'd be honored to. So I preached his funeral. Then she came to me and said, listen, it looks like I'm going to be staying with my son. Now, you know I'm a Methodist. I said, oh yeah. I said, by the way, uh, you, you can go to heaven and be a Methodist. You're not saved by the membership of your church. You do understand that. But she said, no, you understand I'm a Methodist, but, but will it be okay if I attend? I said, of course, we'd love for you to attend. Well, she started coming to church with them Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She's in her 70s. Finally, one night after church, she came to me and said, Brother Graham, I need to make an appointment to see you. I said, well, right now, sis, come on in. She said, well, I want to talk to you about joining the church. You know, every preacher, you're excited, Brother Stevens, but you understand when you hold a line of doctrine, think, oh boy. (laughs) She wants to join the church, but she's not going to like what I have to say. And I said, well, sis, we're so glad that you want to join the church. He said, no, wait a minute, I know what you're going to say. You're going to ask me about my salvation. Oh, yes, ma'am. Well, let me give you my testimony. She told me how she got saved when she was a young lady. Shared her personal testimony. I know I'm saved. know I'm trusting Christ alone for salvation. I said, well, yes, ma'am, that's wonderful. I said, but there's something else we need to talk about. She said, I know. She said, but Brother Graham, before you say anything else, I just want you to know I'm willing to submit myself to believer's baptism. Wow. Wasn't that exciting? And by the way, you don't get saved being a Baptist, but it's pretty exciting that she was willing to submit herself, and I think in her later 70s, and was willing to do that and serve the Lord faithfully in our church till God called her home. I'm just saying with the, uh, with the realization that you never know who God is working with in the 11th hour, but the potential of the harvest, by the way, of reaching people in the 11th hour of their life. And uh, let me say thirdly, because of the proximity of time. You may not know when you're in your 11th hour. You know, we get the idea, well, I'm going to live to be 100. Well, listen, friend, you may not make it that long. Well, we're not guaranteed. My sister was killed at the age of 22 in a car accident. My brother was killed. I was the only boy for years. My mom and dad, as I said, had five girls. I was the only boy. When I was 16, they adopted my brother. And by the way, I'm grateful for that. I could have used reinforcements sooner, but they adopted Jeff. Jeff was the baby of the family. And Jeff was killed in an accident at home when he was 16. Many of you have heard his testimony, how God used his death to sweep revival into our community and our church. And it was a powerful, powerful work that God did through his young life. But 16 years of age. I talked to him the night before. He was telling me about uh, selling his car to give the money to the camp and that he was going to be getting him another car. But uh, as we talked about the things of the Lord, I was just so excited about his zeal and excitement for the Lord. And less than 24 hours later, he's out in eternity. And we never know when we are laboring in our 11th hour. At my brother's funeral visitation, I was amazed at people that came by. Uh, The barber came by and told Dad, he said, you know, I cut Jeff's hair the morning that he was killed. And he said, man, it's just hard to believe I'm standing here you know, a couple days later at the casket on Thursday night and I cut his hair Tuesday morning. The banker came in and the president of the bank, he said, man, I, I just had a conversation with Jeff Tuesday morning. He came in, made a deposit in the bank and I asked him, said, hey Jeff, uh, how's it going? He said, oh, it's going good. And he said, what are you going to do with your life? He said, well, I'm planning on taking over your job one of these days, be president of this bank. The guy started laughing and Jeff said, hey, by the way, when are you going to come to church? 
You keep telling me you're going to come hear my dad preach. You keep telling me you're going to come hear my brother preach. And person after person talked about how he had invited them to church and witnessed to them to ask them if they were saved. And I'm saying all that to say this. God took that young life and swept revival into our community, into our church. And I want you to understand, I don't know and you don't know when you're in the 11th hour of your life. But I don't know and you don't know when someone else is in the 11th hour of their life. And oh, listen, we've got to reach them before it's too late. That's why I believe in the bus ministry. That's why I believe in, in uh, trying to reach children. People say, oh, well, you know, I'm so afraid they'll make a false profession of faith. And I realize that happens, and I think we need to be careful. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But let's don't try to say that you can't get saved till you're a certain age. I had a lady say to me one day, you know, nobody can get saved before they're 12. I said, really? Where's that at in the Bible? Well, Jesus went to the temple when He was 12. I said, well, He didn't get saved that day. But if you read your Bible, he also went there when he was eight days old. He went there a whole lot of other times because when he went when he was 12, he was doing what they did every year. There's no magic number. And thank God for children to get saved. Some of these young people have given their heart to Christ and they've made some decisions that's going to keep a lot of baggage out of their life. And we ought to rejoice about that. But I also want you to realize that we never know when someone is in the 11th hour of their life, the proximity of time can go by so quickly. And I know there are people all over this world that have said, I'm going to, I'm going to wait another day. I got a uh, message this afternoon. I preached at uh, church just a couple weeks ago. Brother Stephen Bars, I uh, may have mentioned, but they're in the process of, of uh, moving to Benton and they've started a, a tremendous work at Make Away Ministry. And the church there has a new pastor and God bless, we started that church ten and a half years ago. When I preached there, gave the invitation, there was a lady who raised her hand that she was lost. And man, you know, when you see that happen, you're praying and you're pleading and hoping they'll get saved. But she didn't walk the aisle. I mentioned to the preacher, I said, there was a lady that raised her hand. And uh, he said, she was a visitor. I got a text today that she walked the aisle and got saved. And her son also got saved this morning. Isn't that exciting? Man, I'm telling you, dear friend, boy, it's just thrilling to hear good news about people being saved, but you never know when someone's in their 11th hour. One of the men in our church at Benton years ago came to me and said, Brother Graham, my dad is in the hospital. Would you go see him? And I said, I'd be happy to. I got to the hospital. He was not conscious. And I'd known Mr. Pelton for many years, but he was not conscious as he was laying there in the hospital. I tried to talk to him, but I couldn't get through to him. The next day, they moved him to hospice facility. When I went to the hospice facility, he was wide awake. And I began to talk to him and ask him, I said, I don't know if you remember me being here yesterday. He said, no, sir, I don't. And I said, well, Mr. Pelton, I said, you're very sick and they're putting you in this hospice facility and your family's very concerned about you. They're wondering what's going to happen if you die. He said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to hell. But I don't want to. And I said, would you allow me to show you how you can know the Lord? I had the privilege of leading Mr. Pelton to the Lord. And you know, he was so excited. He started telling everybody. They said 40-some family members came by between the time I left there and that night. And he was so excited. Everybody would come in the room. Children, grandchildren, family members, friends come in the room. And he would tell them, hey, did you hear what happened? I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. And he told them, he said, I feel so good. I think I may get out of here. I went on to preach somewhere that night and the next morning I got a call that Mr. Pelton had slipped out in eternity. You talk about the 11th hour of his life. So, preacher, I don't believe in deathbed conversion. Well, what about the thief on the cross? You don't get any closer than he did to going to hell. Get saved by the grace of God. By the way, 
If you're not saved, don't say, well, that's what I'll do. I'll wait till the 11th hour. I'll wait till the last minute. The problem is you don't know that that's going to work in your situation. But oh, listen, proximity of time. Time is marching on. You know, when I was a kid, I'd hear preachers say, uh, and, and parents say, boy, time's flying. And I'd think, yeah, you're not sitting in algebra class. It ain't flying that fast for me. I can remember sitting in school and thinking, am I ever going to get done with this? I can remember being young enough that I was thinking, man, I, just, I want the Lord to come back, but I hope, hope it's not before I get to drive a car. I want to be able... <laughs> my, dad, my dad was uh, working on a neighbor that he wanted to lead to the Lord. My dad said, son, I want you to do me a favor. Mr. List and his wife over there, I'm trying to reach them, and so you mow a lot of yards to make money. He said, I want you to mow their yard, but don't charge them anything. I appreciate my dad sharing my kindness. But anyway, I'm just kidding. And so I mowed Mr. List's yard. I didn't mind. It wasn't a big yard. I mowed their yard. And, and uh, he'd try and say, no, no, I don't want anything for it. My dad, of course, befriended him, witnessed to him. I found a note the other day. Boy, I'll tell you what, it thrilled my heart. Brother John, I found a note the other day that Howard List had wrote to my dad. My dad had given him a Bible. And of course, Howard got saved and he'd become a faithful member of our church, drove a bus route for years. But a note from my dad, he said, Brother Graham, I want to thank you for the Bible that you gave me. But I want to thank you for the example that you set before me. He lived right across the street from us. And he said, uh, you know, you, you not only led me to Christ, but you lived a life of a Christian in front of me. Boy, that blessed my heart. Howard List, I'd been mowing his yard and his mother died and he had to settle all of her estate. He told my dad, he said, hey, your son's been mowing my yard. You've never let me pay him. And I don't need my mother's car. Can I give it to him? Dad said, yeah. And the fellas, I want to tell you what, I was not as smart back then as I am now. Because if I had the brains back then that I had now, I'd still own that car. 61 Chevy. Boy, I mean, it was nice. I mean, you could tell nobody would ever sit in the back seat. You know, I didn't realize what a treasure I had. But anyway, that was my first car given to me. I didn't even have my license yet, so I'd ride around on the church parking lot. <laughs> but anyway, man, I was somebody and uh, going places in circles. But anyway, <clears throat> but you never know. You never know when it's going to come to an end. And listen, because of the promise we have that there's an accounting day coming. Folks, I can't afford to waste my life. One of these days, I'm going to have to give an account to God. One of these days, I'm going to stand before Him. 1 Corinthians talks about that, chapter 3. Let's look there real quick, and I'll, I'll be to the last point here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 9, the Bible said, for we are laborers together with God. You're God's husband, or you're God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, now, if any man build upon the foundation, on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. One of these days, we're going to give an account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 goes right along with that. And here's what it says there in verse number 10. 2 Corinthians 5 
And verse number 10 said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's believers. That's the saved. We're going to stand one of these days that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Paul said, we recognize, knowing the terror of the Lord, that we're going to one of these days give an account for our life. I'd hate to think that God saved me by His grace, gave me everlasting life, and I never did one thing to influence anybody else for heaven. And I can do that by personal witnessing. I can do that by preaching the Word of God. But I can also do that by participating in mission giving. As I said this morning in Sunday school and reminded you again in church, when we're involved in the mission giving of our church, we are literally fulfilling the great commission that God has given to us. And oh, it's exciting. By the way, we don't always know the details. We don't always get to see the fruit of our labor. Sometimes it's beyond our expectation. There have been times... uh, in the years gone by when I've made trips to the Philippines and saw a harvest of souls. And listen, you look back on that and you think, wow, that's exciting. And you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to be able to sit down with every individual that got saved. Well, there'll come a day that we'll do that in heaven. What an exciting thing. You know, it's, it's exciting to think about eternity that we're going to get to dwell with people and see people uh, that come to know the Lord. And you might be amazed and surprised how that your life can make a difference. Because one of these days, we're going to give an account to God. Let me say lastly, we ought to all be in the work of the harvest because of how precious the harvest is. I mentioned Miss Bonnie a while ago. Miss Bonnie works in our church. She's, as I said, soon be 88. She lives on the church property. She writes our curriculum for the jail and prison ministry and does a superb job with that. She has prisoners that correspond through our church and she gets Bible lessons to them. They've never met her, but she sends them out to different prisons. Guys that have come in our area and gone to jail and gone to prison and, and then went on. And so they enroll and want to grow as Christians. And she's done a phenomenal job with that. And they'll get pages and they'll get that done and then send it back. And she grades it, sends them new work. And, and uh, not uncommon uh, some weeks to have between three and 400 people that she's uh, taking care of all of their work and all of their labor. And I just stand amazed at the heart of dedication she has. Miss Bonnie told the story when she was a girl. She said their church had revival. And it was a two-week revival. That was back in the old days. Two-week revival. And she said after the revival was over, she said there were a couple men that met on the street. One of them was from her church. The other one wasn't, but he had visited the revival. And he said to the man, hey, how'd the revival turn out at your church? And the guy said, well, I guess it was all right." He said, but we had meeting for two weeks. We only had one saved. She said, but I heard him say that. She said, I was the one that got saved. And it made all the difference in my life. And only heaven knows how many hundreds and hundreds of prisoners and inmates have not only gotten saved, but grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through the lessons that Miss Bonnie has written uh, to give them just some things to help them grow uh, in their Christian life. I'm saying all that to say this. uh, Listen, the harvest is precious. doesn't matter whether it's a child, the drunk on the street, the rich in the palace. They all are souls in need. You know, sometimes we want to get selective and say, well, boy, if I could reach that person. Can I tell you something? You never know when God lets you reach somebody what a difference that person's life will make. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. 
The songwriter said, in my corner of the field, wherever God places me, I want to be faithful. The song in that chorus says, don't let me bruise one. I pray I don't lose one in my corner of the field. Folks, listen. Evangelism, world missions, it starts right here in St. Joe, Missouri for you. And then we reach out into our communities around us. And at the same time, we give to send missionaries around the world. But sending missionaries around the world does not mean that we don't have to worry about trying to be a witness for Christ. No, no. Every one of us need to realize our Master, the Lord of the harvest, is pleading for us to have a part in this great, wonderful, global work called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to make a difference in these last days. And I can see it. I can sense it that there's a hunger in many people's lives that are just waiting for someone to tell them that there's hope beyond the grave. And that hope is Jesus Christ and Him alone. Father, we love You and we pray that Your Holy Spirit would help us to realize that we have been allowed of God to be put in trust with the Gospel. It's a sacred trust. And I pray that we'll not take it lightly, that we won't be flippant about it. Lord, that we'll be faithful and Lord, fervently get the message out to a lost and dying world that Jesus saves. Lord, there may be somebody here tonight that doesn't know You as their Savior and I plead for their soul. Lord, it's very easy in these days we're living in to get lackadaisical, to get lazy. Lord, to get lukewarm. It's very easy to get caught up in all that's going on in our world and forget the great responsibility we have to go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. God, help us to be faithful. To serve You, Lord, wherever You place us. Lord, may we be willing to work in Your harvest and realize when it's all said and done, it's not our harvest, it's Yours. Bless the invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to stand. But before we do, while no one's looking around, is there one that say, Preacher, I don't know the Lord is my Savior, but I'd like to know Him. Pray for me. And you'd slip your hand up and say, that's the need of my heart. I need to get saved. I wonder if there's someone say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart tonight. I want you to pray for me. Just slip a hand up wherever you're at. Pray for me. I don't have to know what it's about, but I'd sure love to pray for you. Is there one? Thank you. Is there someone else? I have a need in my life tonight. God spoke to my heart. Maybe a loved one you're burdened about. I don't know the need of your heart. Maybe even beginning to pray about what God wants you to do in missions. Let's seek the face of God. Let Him have His way. Would you do that? Father, bless these. And now, in this invitation, may we be completely obedient to Your Holy Spirit. We'll thank You in advance in Jesus' name.